0: So, this morning we, we're looking at John chapter 4, 1 through 42. It's a long story. Um, and full disclosure, uh, this is a sermon that I had written uh, three and a half years ago. And kind of, sort of did it here. Um, it, it was supposed to be preached on March 15, 2020. Remember what happened the day before that? coronavirus is community spread and we at 10 30 at night we decided yeah we we can't I don't think we can do church so we didn't Uh, we canceled church and then the next week uh, we did our first Facebook live and I didn't go back to check because it's too painful Uh, because our first our first one we did I think it was the one where we did sideways uh, where we broadcast our, our things sideways yeah that was fun Awesome. And that, that, yeah. So, and, w- and what, I, what I decided to do, um, because it was like, we have to do this different. It's online. We don't know what we're doing. And I was like, let's get, let's be creative like those cool podcasts. And let's just have a conversation about like the, the passage, the sermon that I was going to preach. And I didn't give Emily any time to prepare whatsoever. And so it was kind of, it did not, it was not good. It was not good. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to pick that thing back up. I'm going to rework it a little bit and I'm going to do it the way I wanted to do it originally um, because I think there's some really good things uh, in here. And the one of the other reasons why I wanted to do it, and I made this decision while we were, while we were in Colorado uh, that I was going to pick this up and do it again because we heard this story uh, taught on while we were there. And there were some things that the speaker said that Chris, Kristen and I were like, Oh, no, man. Nope. Nope. And I'll talk about that uh, later um, because I, and it's actually I think it's an important it's an important thing. And you, I'll get to it um, anyway. So uh, John 4, 1 through 42. Um, before we read it, you'll find the words back here in front of you if you've got them. Uh, let's let's pray together. God, thanks again for this time where we can uh, open this book that is such a gift. Um, and we get to read from it again. We get to enter into a story uh, about about Jesus. About how you revealed to us the, the very heart of God, Jesus. Thank you. So Holy Spirit, we trust that you are here in this place and that you will do Whatever it is you need to do inside of us to make us more like you. Open us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the story goes like this. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. An important detail. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into... The town to buy food, which is another important detail, because if they had been there, they would have shushed him. They would have been like, Jesus, what are you doing? What in the world? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Ah, now we know the reason for the shushing, right? Jesus answered her. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband what you have just said is quite true sir the woman said i can see that you're a prophet our ancestors worshiped on this mountain but you jews claim that the place where we must worship is in jerusalem woman jesus replied believe me a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem you samaritans worship what you do not know we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you. I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? or Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Like you're crazy, you must be hungry. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could somebody else have brought him some food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So we heard this story before. We've heard this story before. It's a familiar story. Uh, I've heard it. I've read it a lot of times and I've taught on it a few times. And here's the deal. When you're familiar with certain stories, you find out that they, that they sort of accumulate layers of interpretation. Right? Layers of interpretation. Sometimes uh, there are things that we think we know about the story, and these things may have been taught to us at some point. We may have, been, we may have caught them. Or sometimes we just make assumptions about stories uh, because of the cultural context in which we live. And sometimes those assumptions can be completely and entirely uh, way off base. We can make assumptions about things because we have ex- it's perfectly natural, right? We do this because we have, we've experienced the world in a certain way. And then when we read stories about situations that if they happen today, well, we kind of know why that's happening. So it's important for us to ask questions, It's important for us to interrogate our assumptions. It's important for us um, to uh, to use our imaginations, to wonder. It's okay. It's good for us to ask questions. So one of the things I want to do this morning is sort of peel back one of the layers of of interpretation that, that has accumulated onto this story for a lot of people, and that is this the woman in the story doesn't seem to be a prostitute. It's easy for us to read this story and to, the, to read the the part about the five husbands and the one she's with is not her husband. It's easy for us to come at this story and think to ourselves, oh man, she gets around. She must do this for a living. But nowhere in the story does this does this say that she's a a prostitute. In fact, this story doesn't seem to be about sexual sin at all. Nowhere in the story does Jesus call her a sinner. Nowhere in this story does Jesus tell her to go and sin no more, like He says in other places. So this story really isn't focused on that part at all. It's an important part of the story, but it's not the focus of the story. The focus of the story is Jesus and who He's revealing Himself to be And what does that mean for us? So here's some things that we do know about the story really quickly. This is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with any single person in the stories about him in the Bible. It's the longest recorded conversation with anybody in the stories about Jesus in the Bible. This This woman is the first person to whom Jesus reveals his identity, his true identity, I am the one speaking to you. I am He. I am the Messiah. She's the first missionary. She's the first preacher. She runs and she tells her whole family or the whole community where she came from. And they come running out to see Jesus. There are all sorts of really good things about this story. So here's the first one I want to talk about. And we talk about this quite a bit, and we're going to talk about it again. This is one of those things, and I've said this before. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. So this is one of those things. Jesus crosses all kinds of boundaries just to give someone what they desperately needed. Treats his enemy with dignity and respect. Let's get to the story. Jesus and His closest followers are walking from the south near Jerusalem, and they're going up to the north, right? In Galilee. Uh, and John tells us that He had to go through Samaria. I think I've told, I've, I've preached on 12 or 13 different sermons where I mention this. John says He had to go through Samaria. Now, the first people reading this would have been like, nah, he didn't have to go through Samaria because they knew that every good Jew would go around Samaria. They wouldn't go through Samaria because that was a horrible place. It was filled with Samaritans. Samaritans lived in in Samaria, right? So they thought Samaritans were inferior in just about every single way. Culturally, socially, religiously, racially, totally and completely inferior to them. So Jesus, Jesus walks over the border with his disciples and none of them are happy. They're on edge. So the sun is at the highest point in the sky. It's super hot. They're hot. They're tired. They're hungry. So his followers decide, you know what? We got to go get some grub. So they, so they hoof it into town to get some food and Jesus stays back by the well. So we have Jesus alone resting on the side of the well the edge of the well when a samaritan woman approaches with a bucket she's going to get some water jesus asks her for a drink and then engages her in conversation and you all know this he's not supposed to do that Nope. he's breaking all kinds of rules he's breaking all kinds of cultural religious and social norms this woman has some things against her. She's a woman. And no Jewish man, especially a rabbi, would ever have a conversation with a woman alone in public. Nope, wouldn't happen. She's also a Samaritan. He asks the Samaritan for a drink. Jews don't ask Samaritans for a drink. They'd rather stay thirsty, my friends. They'd rather die of thirst than to ask a Samaritan for a drink of water. Let me, let me make this as simple as I can. The Samaritan woman, she's the other. The Samaritan woman is the alien. The Samaritan woman is the foreigner. She is the one who represents all the boundaries that we good religious people aren't supposed to cross. What does Jesus do? Ignores them all. Crosses them all. Breaks them all down. This is why Jesus, this is one of the reasons why Jesus continuously gets in trouble with the religious elite of his time. The people who know what they're talking about, religiously speaking, spiritually speaking. He gets. This is one of the reasons why he continuously gets in trouble. This is one of the reasons why he ends up getting himself killed. This is one of the reasons Because it threatened the power structures that were in place at the time. It threatened them. The social fabric was being ripped apart by a guy named Jesus because he refused to play the game. He crosses those boundaries. But hear this. His willingness to break down all of these boundaries becomes an invitation for us as his followers to do the same it becomes an invitation for us as jesus people to live into the reality that people are more than the sum total the sum of their racial political cultural gender ethnic economic identities and not one single one of those identities fully defines a person anyway it becomes an invitation for us to set aside our stereotypes, our prejudices, our biases, even the ones we don't think we have. That's the invitation. Welcome to following Jesus, everybody. How do we do this? Well, I think we do it the way we do anything. When you learn how to play basketball, do you... uh, do you first learn how to dunk it? When you first learn how to play basketball, do you, do you step behind the three-point line and be like, I'm going to be like Steph Curry? No. Do the small things first, right? When I was in high school, this is how we started every practice. And, and every time I play basketball now, I, I, this is just ingrained into me. We would step up to the hoop. The hoop's literally right there, right? And we would work on our form. Then you'd shoot 10 spots from the side, the front, and the other side. And the goal was to shoot it, work on your form, and not hit the rim 10 times in a row. Once you got 10 in a row from that spot, you moved to the front, then you move to the other side. Right? You work on your form. The small things. So we work on the small things. Barbara Brown Taylor gives us some help in this. In her book, An Altar, an altar in the world. She says that we need a whole lot more philozenia and a whole lot less xenophobia. We need more philozenia and a whole lot less xenophobia. Let's break those two words down. They're Greek. Philozenia. Philo. Philo is the Greek one of the Greek words for love. Xenia is the Greek word for the stranger. So that word. You smash those two words together. It becomes love of. Stranger. Xenophobia. Xenia, the stranger. Phobia means fear. Xenophobia is fear of strangers. She says we need a whole lot more philoxenia and a whole lot less xenophobia. We need more love of stranger, less fear of stranger. And then she gives us a small thing to try. A small thing. And maybe you'll, maybe you'll kind of remember it'll, it'll click in your head because I used the same thing three and a half years ago. But it's going to land a whole lot better this time because back then, all of a sudden, we couldn't go to the grocery store without fear of getting sick. Am I going to catch coronavirus? Right? So I think it's going to land a whole lot better this time. She says, the next time you pick up your groceries, try engaging the cashier Try engaging the cashier. Remember, we're talking about small things here. Listen to her words. Because here is someone who exists even when she's not ringing up your groceries. As hard as that may be for you to imagine. She's someone's daughter. Maybe someone's mother as well. She has a home she returns to when she hangs her apron here, a a kitchen that smells of last night's supper a bed where she occasionally lies awake at night wrestling with her own demons and angels. You saved $11.06 by shopping at Winn-Dixie today, she says, looking right at you. All that is required of you is to look back. Just meet her eyes for a moment as you say, thanks. Sometimes, That is all another person needs to know that she has been seen. Not the cashier, but the person. But even if she doesn't seem to notice, the encounter has occurred. You noticed. And because you did, neither of you will ever be quite the same again. Go ahead. Try it. Walk through Walmart. Not with your head down as if you're in such a big hurry to get what you need and leave. Try walking with your eyes up. Try encountering the people who help you check out if you're not checking yourself out these days. Try it. I think you'll find that you'll get better at it because, as Richard Rohr says, the way we do the little things is the way we'll do the big things. The way we do the insignificant things becomes the way we do the significant things try it so what boundary is god calling you to cross what stranger god calling you to love to embrace what other is god calling you to welcome Robert Brown Taylor also reminds us that the Old Testament tells us to love our neighbor one time. Once. The Old Testament tells us to welcome the stranger over 36 times. Welcome the stranger. We don't have to be afraid. Try a little xenia and a whole lot less xenophobia. We need more of that in this world. So Jesus crosses boundaries, invites us to do the same, to do so without fear. That's the first good newsy thing. Here's the second one. Jesus leads with vulnerability. I love that first one. This one I might love just as much. He leads with vulnerability. Think about how John describes the scene. So Jesus is sitting by a well in the desert sun when the sun's at his highest. He's tired, he's hungry, Super thirsty. He's just been on a long journey. He's all by himself, and here comes this woman with a bucket. And the first thing he does is engage her in conversation. Will you give me a drink of water? And I wonder, as I read this story, I wonder how long he waited there. I wonder how long he'd been there, sitting at, sitting out there in the wilderness, hot, thirsty at noon. People die of thirst out there. It's no joke. I wonder if he thinks about the last time he was alone in the wilderness when the evil one came and tempted him to turn stones into bread. He could have gotten himself a drink of water. Let's make that clear. Like, this is Jesus. He could have gotten himself a drink of water. This is feed 10,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish guy. This is turning water into wine guy. He could have gotten himself something to drink. He could have taken care of himself, but he didn't. He stops. He waits. And when the woman comes, he asks her for a drink of water. And I think that is an amazing moment in this story. He's completely vulnerable. Completely vulnerable. Completely humble. Will you give me a drink? Of water. How often do we Jesus people, how often do we run into the world with a sense that we've got all the answers? How often do we approach the world with a sense of condescension and an attitude that, it, that we could just fix everything if people would just listen to us? And then when we get into positions of power, we make sure we force it on people. Seriously, how often do we come into the world with a sense of condescension that, you know what? We know what's better and we can fix the world if you just put us in charge or if you just let us. Do we really have nothing to learn from other people? Really? I think this woman winds up trusting Jesus because of his vulnerability. I think she trusts him because of his, because of his humility. He's thirsty. He names his thirst and just asked her if she had something to give. There's no smugness there. There's no arrogance. He's thirsty. He names it. He's in need. He's humble. And she has something to give. What would it look like if we Jesus people led with vulnerability? What would it look like if we all tried a a great big dose of humility? Because when we're humble, when we're vulnerable, all we're doing is representing the very heart of God, revealing the very heart of God to the world. It's a heart that is vulnerable, humble, gentle, gracious, loving, and courageous enough to cross boundaries just to be with us. Jesus leads with a sense of humility. Vulnerability. That's the second thing. Here's the the third thing. Jesus sees without shaming. He sees without a sense of condemnation. Jesus sees without shaming, sees without condemning. So the conversation changes, and Jesus reveals that he knows a whole lot more about her than she wished he knew. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. And look, there are a whole bunch of reasons why this might actually be the case. So sometimes one of the assumptions we make about this woman at the well is, man, she's just running from one man to another man to another man to another man looking for significance, looking for fulfillment. She's just dropping that one to go find another one. Why can't she get her life straight? She's, she's looking for a man to make herself complete because that's sort of the assumption we make because we've seen that happen in our world. But the, I can tell you with 100% confidence that that wasn't the case, that that's not What was happening here there might be a whole bunch of other reasons she might have been married as a teen as a teen through no choice of her own she might have been married off as a teen and maybe her first husband died and then she was passed between his five six brothers afterwards which could have been the case according to levitical codes if you want to have fun go read leviticus you'll find it somewhere in there i didn't look it up but According to Levitical codes, she could have been passed between her dead husband's five, six brothers. Maybe she was married and got divorced five times. And they divorced her because they found out that she couldn't have children. Maybe she was abused. There could have been a whole bunch of different reasons, but we know this. We know that she wasn't just divorcing one man to go to another one, searching for a sense, searching for fulfillment, searching for satisfaction. She dropped one because it didn't work. No, that couldn't happen. Why? Because women back then didn't have that kind of agency. They couldn't divorce their husbands. Only husbands could divorce their wives. She couldn't decide to do that even if she wanted to. Only husbands had that kind of agency. Only husbands could abandon their wives like that. This wasn't something that she decided to do. This was something that happened to her. So all we know is she just wanted to be invisible. She came to the water. She came to get water at noon when all the other women would have come in the cool Of the morning. She wanted to be invisible. She was hoping to come and go unseen, undetected, in isolation, so that she didn't have to let anybody else into her trauma, so that she didn't have to let anyone else into her pain. Then here comes Jesus, sees her entire story, and he names it. But look at what he doesn't do. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't condemn her. He names it. He sees her in a way that makes her feel loved, not judged. And when he does that, he communicates to her that she can be her true self. This is the place where she can be her true self. No more games, no more hiding. He essentially says to her, I see you for who you are, and I still love you. Now see me for who I am, the Messiah, the one in whom you can find freedom, the one in whom you can find healing, the one in whom you can find transformation. Living water, he says, drink of me and you will never be thirsty again. It's okay. It's not your fault. You are loved. So maybe this season, God is inviting us to see others through the eyes of love and not judgment. Maybe God is inviting us to see our own stories, our own stories through the eyes of love and not judgment. Maybe God Maybe God is inviting us to sort of peel back the the layers of the stories that we tell about ourselves. You know the ones, that we're somehow not good enough, that we're insignificant, that our lives don't matter. Somehow we're the wrong shape, we're the wrong size, and if we just worked a little harder, maybe God is inviting us to to peel back those layers to get to our true selves that we're loved we're accepted by the creator of the universe and maybe just maybe when we do that we'll begin to love ourselves again and we'll begin to love the stranger more fiercely let's pray